What's up, everybody? Are you into Freemasonry? Are you into paranormal stuff? Have you ever connected the two? Well, tonight we got an excellent guest, and we're going to be talking about just that, some of the spooky happenings that may happen around our historic temples and Masonic happenings. Stick with us. we got an excellent guest and an even more excellent episode for you right after this on Historical Life. Welcome back to the Historical Light Masonic Podcast, dedicated to illuminate our past and bring our Masonic history to light since 2016. Enjoy the show. Good evening and welcome back to Historical Light, a Masonic podcast focused around the historical events and aspects of Freemasonry. I'm your host, Brother Alex Powers, and we're pleased to have with us a, a special guest this evening, Brother R.J. Johnson from the Whence Came You podcast and Masonic Roundtable and so many other projects. Brother Robert, thanks so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me on. This is a uh, tremendous opportunity, and I uh, always love hanging out with our brother Alex Bowers. I appreciate that, man. So for those that may not know you, first of all, shame on them. Who doesn't know the RJ? Uh, but for those that might not, if you wouldn't mind, give us a little bit of background, just who you are and uh, your connection to Freemasonry. Well, sure. First and foremost, you might know that I have dogs because they're downstairs barking right now. Um, other than that, uh, I joined Masonry back in 2007, 2008, um, and I did the thing that most active guys do. I went through all of the chairs, took about seven, eight years, was the worshipful master of my mother lodge. Um, then I went on to become a district education officer for a couple of years. I was a, a DDGM, a district deputy grandmaster for a couple of years. I work with the Masonic Education Committee uh, of Education uh, for the Grand Lodge of Illinois. I'm also uh, involved because I'm also a member in uh, in Ezekiel Bates in Massachusetts. Um, I also assist there on the Education Committee as a director of uh, like creative stuff for the Education Committee. Um, so I'm involved in a lot of different things. Um, masonry is what I love to do. It's where I spend most of my time. I've worked really hard in my professional career in the IRL world to make it so that um, I have a lot of time available for Freemasonry. Uh, so that's that's kind of my story. I've been uh, around the United States, around the world, and uh, yeah, just kind of collecting friends and brothers and, and experiences uh, that, you know, I guess this this thing that we call Freemasonry enables us to do. That's fantastic, man. So we are going live this evening on our usual places, Facebook, YouTube, and over on the TikTok side. I got to apologize to the TikTok side. I'm just noticing I still got Masonic Kind Kansas background up for you guys. So whether then, you know, getting in there and trying to change it all while you guys are watching, uh, just let it say what it says. It's Historical Light, episode 109, got RJ Really pleased to have you all. I also apologize about the echo in the beginning there. I got way too many buttons here than I should have. So, you know, I know enough to get myself in trouble, and I usually do. So, Brother RJ, we're, we're learning about 
how you got involved in masonry. And we, we like to get to know you just a little bit more before we dive into um, really dive into the episode this evening. One of the questions we like to ask the people that come on this show is, did you have family history in Freemasonry uh, prior to yourself? Fantastic question. And uh, the answer was no. Um, I was like a, what would, what you might consider a cold call in Freemasonry. Um, I had uh, no experience other than uh, I read a book on tapestries that a friend of mine, Yucatero Hamada, had given me, uh, Masonic tapestries to be specific. I was a little fascinated. I kind of wikied everything, considered myself a uh, Wikipedia subject matter expert, reached out to the Grand Lodge of California at the time, got a, a great email back with awesome resources from Brother Adam Kendall. Some of you all know him. He was the uh, editor of the Plum Line magazine for a, a number of years. He might still be doing that. I'm not sure. Uh, but he's a, a great dude. Um, and then I went to Orange Lodge in, in Orange Circle, California. And I was going to like knock on the door. But then I totally uh, weenied out. I, I was a little um, freaked out by the signage that was there. It was like really kind of cryptic, knock three times on the third Monday and enter the chamber or some something crazy. I don't know. It probably wasn't as nefarious as I'm making it sound, but <laughs> it certainly kind of freaked me out then, right? Like I'm like, who meets like that? That's weird. Um, and then, so I didn't do anything. And then when I came to Illinois after my first son was born, right around the time of my son's first, first birthday, um, I had done a web inquiry with the Grand Lodge of Illinois. And uh, about two weeks later, I get a weird phone call. A guy named Carl is the secretary of Waukegan 78, invited me out to lunch. And, uh, you know, before you know it, there I was. I, I joined the fraternity and I looked everywhere. Who can I know in the, in, in, in the craft? And certainly I asked, uh, I thought my dad was. Um, but apparently when my grandfather told me my dad was a mason, it just meant like a literal brick mason. So no, nothing there. Uh, and then I kept going back and back and back and wouldn't find anything. And then one day um, I got one of those Ancestry.com kits, you know, like the little spit thing. It tells you mm -hmm. the DNA and all that good stuff. Um, and I bought for um, like a month or two. I had like the uh, the package that tells you you can like trace lineage to overseas, so I did all that. And then like 15 minutes, you know, I was back to 1540 in Herefordshire, England, or however you pronounce it in the English dialect. Uh, and we had like church records and stuff. And the church that we had there was uh, um, a Knights of the Hospitaller uh, church. Um, so there's there, maybe I have some relation to the Knights Hospitaller. I don't know. Um, but then it took almost two years and all of a sudden I got this little leaf notification in my ancestry.com and it said, Hey, we found a little match here. And it turns out my, it was a picture of my great, great granddad's gravestone in Pope, Arkansas, Pope County, Arkansas. And it's got a, a square and compass on it for uh, Gilbert Lafayette Johnson. Nice. Uh, so it, I mean, I didn't discover a lineage of Freemasonry until you know, I had been a member of five or six years um, and that was pretty exciting for me. But at the same time, it was kind of bittersweet, too, because my family history traces back through, you know, all the way to the beginning. We came through with uh, Captain James Powell and we had settlements set up. My family really came in through Jamestown uh, and and went south. 
And as we moved south, like to Alabama, then over, and they kind of settled in the Arkansas area and they fought for the Confederacy. And before that, right, like I'm a, uh, a candidate for the Sons of the American Revolution just through lineage as well. Um, but so like I, my, my family's fought in all the wars. Like, so historically that's kind of cool. But uh, like Gilbert Lafayette Johnson was essentially a son of the Confederacy. And um, I even have some of my family's uh, like scans of documents for their Confederate pension papers. Pretty, oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty wild. Um, so it's kind of bittersweet, you know, uh, but it was really cool. I, you know, and it actually, I think I reached out to the Grand Lodge of Arkansas at one point and said, Hey, do you have any records of Gilbert Lafayette Johnson? And they said, well, no, but we also had a huge fire here or something. And they invited me to come down and look through the storehouse. But what I imagine their storehouse is just like boxes of records. And, um, I'd probably have to recruit you and a couple other guys to go down there with Caesar scanners and spend like the weekend trying to get it all digitized. <laughs> I'm one of the few guys you tell that to, and I get genuinely excited. You're like, let's go the box right there. Let's do yeah. this. <laughs> That's awesome, man. And yeah, I, I totally get that. You know, family history can often be uh, bittersweet in those. And, you know, the thing is there's, there's still a ton of like history there that you can appreciate. And what I got to get to, because I have those, those histories in my family as well. Not, Everyone I found in my family either fought for the union or didn't fight, but there's bits of family history that you just, you can't be proud of because you heard stories of who the person was and they just, you know, were kind of a POS, but at the same time, it's like, well, you know, I made it out there and went to my great grandfather's grave, even though I, I heard all these stories about him, you can still respect that lineage and, you know, there's a lot to learn and appreciate while also acknowledging and, you know, just being upfront with the fact that we didn't agree with everything with people. They're human. And unfortunately humans don't always add up. Well, let's see. So this evening we got an excellent topic. So I've had some experience with you around the topic of paranormal uh, in the past. Before we get into the nuts and bolts of that, I want to give a big thanks first to everyone that has supported us over on the Patreon side and kept the show going. We've been around since 2016 uh, with a sole focus on Masonic history and trying to uh, not only preserve, but encourage and get it out there uh, as we learn from the past, give it to the future and keep that going generation after generation. Uh, for everyone that supported the show, we want to give you a huge thanks. If you like what you're seeing and you want to help us keep going and grow, you can do so by the QR code or go to the website historicalite.com and click on the support the show tab. You can do so through Patreon. And yes, you can use Patreon or PayPal on Patreon. Makes it easier. So with that, guys, the only other announcement before we get into the big topic this evening is MasonicCon Kansas, which is right around the corner next month. Next month. If you guys haven't got on there yet, we are sold out for the full Festive Board uh, Founders Club passes, but we do still have daytime only passes. And if you can't make it to Kansas, uh, Kansas you can hop on with the virtual pass, 15 bucks for what is it? Eight hours of education. Uh, it's going to be an it's amazing so time. It's so stupid. 15 <laughs> bucks. Like I would pay you spend that at Taco Bell. 
That's so like, true. With, with the inflation and stuff, like your Masonic education got even cheaper. Get out of here. You're like, look, look, just spend the $15 and tune in while your wife is getting grocery shopping or your significant <laughs> exactly. other is like, you know, sitting on the couch late at night. Y'all are just sitting there doing nothing. Or you're sitting on the couch, you know, scrolling TikTok all day. The the modern day uh, time machine of TikTok, you know, just tune in. You'll catch some great presentations. The speakers that you have lined up. Of course, I'm one of them. But uh, yeah, no, all the other speakers are amazing. So, I mean, you you can't go. All the <laughs> other speakers are amazing. <laughs> all the other speakers are amazing. I'm the trashy one. You all are going to love it. I mean, 15 bucks and you get all this education plus for the $15. And, 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 and maybe this is not a good selling point. Maybe I shouldn't bring it up. But for 15 bucks, are they going to get access to the recordings later or no? They are. And that, you know, that's an amazing point because yeah, we're going to record that if just like we do in, well, with the, this podcast, with our uh, stuff over on Kansas Lodge research, there's a lot to unpack. And especially when you've got eight lectures coming in from all over the country, international, uh, there is a lot to unpack there. And at the end of the day, you're going to want to go back and say, I want to better understand this point, or I missed this lecture entirely, or I was just busy that day. And yeah, that's that's where those recordings are going to come in phenomenal. I'm just well. I'm just like, look, you can go on like Apple TV and buy a brand new movie that's two hours for <laughs> twenty bucks, true. or you can that's spend five dollars less and get like probably six hours. Of content. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, we we are stoked to have you coming out and uh, being one of our inaugural speakers for that. I think it's it's definitely going to be a cool event. I've never had anything like it in Kansas before. We've definitely done awesome events and even had a speaker out. Never have we done a full day like this in the Masonic Con, more laid back fashion and flying in eight guys from all over the country and even international uh, first time ever. So it's going to be definitely a historic event. So paranormal Freemasonry. I know a lot of people look at this title and they're like, wait, what? So how are we connecting that this evening? And the thing is here on historical light, we talk about the history. That's, that's what we love. That's what we go after. That's what we aim to recover, preserve and promote within getting into our history and our historical buildings we run into a lot of encounters of not only personal encounters, but just stories in general. We see on TV, we hear from guys getting creeped out in the temple uh, about these paranormal happenings. And the question is, why or is there a connection to our Masonic temples, uh, to Freemasonry in general, and to kind of run through some of that? So as we get into this, let, let's start this off. And this could ruin the entire show if you answer this wrong. Do you believe in paranormal? Paranormal. So not things that don't appear to be normal through the lens of like the normal human experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, I pretty much live in the paranormal. <laughs> that's, that's a good way to put it. And I, I you know, it's, it's kind of fitting with the poster behind you there. I want to believe. Oh yeah. And I also, you know, I got my, my, my Mothman. Yes, you do. Yeah. You do. I, I have seen the Mothman and that's not a joke. 
Okay, so like that that's something we want to get into because RJ, you're known uh for someone that is deeply uh engulfed in the esoterics and the understandings of the various mystery schools, uh, and especially that of Freemasonry. I know you have interests in so many of these aspects. If you wouldn't mind telling us what what is a little bit of your experience around paranormal activity, your interests, and kind of where you've gone with it? Yeah, so I, I've always had an interest in the paranormal from like a young age. Uh, I can recall times, you know, where I was sleeping as a kid and I woke up and I saw things um, in a room in my grandparents' house. And then years later, uh, more things in that same room. Uh, my wife was with me in one of them. We were laying in bed and we were talking about something and, uh, and, you know, we had a lamp, you turn it a little bit and it clicks on and it's at its highest brightness setting and you continue to turn it and it dims. And as you turn it back, it brightens until it clicks off. So it's got like this adjustable brightness setting. Well, it like clicked on, went totally dim all the way back up and off. Like there's no explanation for the actual click, like the mechanical movement. It wasn't right. a trip of the of the electric electrical or anything. So I mean, like I've I've experienced things like that. Um, I've experienced things in Masonic lodges, um, your Masonic lodge, Gardner. Um, I've experienced things at the Valley of St. Louis, uh, which was pretty wild um i've i mean i've experienced uh um things at um we were down at i think it was homer masonic temple or yeah down in 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 homer illinois with darren laners we went there with uh a group of paranormal investigators i brought my son elliot with and we did a whole night paranormal activity uh, at the lodge where there was tons of activity um and like we caught it all on camera. I mean, it's undeniable. It's undeniable. I mean, uh, the things we just don't know what causes it or like to think of it as like ghosts or to think of it as, um, remnant energy, or maybe it's even some sort of, uh, quantum thing, right? Like where there's enough, uh, what we might call like a quantum probability and then somebody dies, but they've already put the energy out there to where it's still affecting like reality today, right. uh, you know, in, in a physics kind of way. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's a wide variety of different things that paranormal encompasses, whether that's, you know, like UFOs and cryptids and ghosts and hauntings and demons and, you know, you know, conjuring and spells and all these things. It's all over the place. And I think they're all very interesting. Um, I don't buy into everything, uh, right. but I will say that certainly in the realm of like paranormal, when we're talking about hauntings, ghosts and experiences like that, you know, I have had uh, some significant experiences as well as, you know, uh, doing some, I don't know, magical conjuring kind of stuff. So, I mean, yeah, like, it's interesting to talk about these uh, situations and obviously we're, we're going to dive into the Masonic connections here. Um, but it is interesting to talk about stuff when you can't always see it. And obviously sometimes when we're talking about this, there's, there's glimpses or there's happenings, but it's not 
right in front of you, fully visible, just, you know, something you can fully comprehend. It's, it's bits and pieces. It's hard to put together. And especially when you throw in a matter of like getting into the quantum level, that throws a wrench in any conversation, no matter what you're talking about. Um, because I mean, yeah, you, you think about that. If, if, if those waves are crossing over getting little blips, yeah, that, that could totally account for, for something, for a lot of things. Um, but yeah, it, it really opens up the possibilities the, there. Yeah. The, the thing I think that <clears throat> you, you'll get kind of three camps in this, right? And one of them is like the scientific camp, which essentially aims to say that, uh, look, the, the, the mystical is the scientific. Uh, and the scientific is, is something that is uh, describing in a human invented way, science, what we have witnessed or uh, 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 seen to have happened. It's a descriptor, right? So you've got the science who says, well, look, man, physics really can explain a lot of this stuff and not, not in a way that detracts from like entities or real haunting stuff or even demons right. and all of this wild stuff, right? Like physics might just say it's real. And then there's also the camp that says, no, you can't bring science or physics into this because it takes away from the mystical element of the kind of faith-based, uh, you know, hands-off, blind belief kind of approach, which I think is a shame because if you can validate something, why wouldn't you? Um, and then there's the third camp, right, which, which essentially says, uh, no. It's just uh, paranormal and it's ghosts and they're demons and there's a demon world and like they, you know, there's a union or a mixing of the two and, you know, all of these things. But, but physics really does offer some really shocking and interesting, uh, like, like reasonings why something could actually be real. And those things are scary. Yeah. So you, you've had, like we've said, you, you've had some really awesome experiences through your path. Um, one of those experiences you documented, I believe it was on Whence Came You, about a trip to Skinwalker Ranch, of all places. Uh, as we kind of dive in a little deeper on this topic and, and we're kind of, you know, qualifying what paranormal is and certain experiences, would you mind telling us a little bit of what took you out there uh, and, and kind of how that went for you? Yeah, uh, so there was a documentary about the Skinwalker Ranch. Um, I picked up a few books on the topic. And then one day I was talking with a good friend of mine, Ben Williams, uh, name drop. Uh, he's, he's a great guy, awesome brother uh, out in Colorado. He's the publisher of the Rocky Mountain Mason magazine. Uh, laughing lion publications and the esoteric mason magazine uh both tremendous publications all right now that i'm done plugging that i will say that uh ben and i were talking and uh we kind of were just like i don't know if you ever like been having drinks or whatever and somebody's like you know, so i'm from california and there would be many times i'd be at a at a at a, a brew pub or something and everybody's making those weekend plans. Hey, let's go to Vegas this weekend, man. And, um, everybody gets smashed. And then on Monday, we're all back in the office at the cubicle and nobody went to Vegas. 
Well, we were talking on the phone and I said, we should just go to Skinwalker Ranch. And Ben was like, should we really? And I was like, yeah. And there were no drinks involved. And so literally two weeks later, I bought a ticket to Denver and then we drove out in August of that year. And uh, we decided to go out there because of the paranormal experiences that were documented, uh, really scientifically documented by the NIDS agency, uh, as well as, uh, you know, just all of the anecdotal evidence. Now, anecdotal is not scientific or really even valuable. But if you trust the people that are telling you, like I would hope you'll take what I'm saying as trusted, uh, you know, at least to say that you can believe that what I'm telling you, I believe I saw or experienced. And uh, so when we got out there, um, you know, we, we took, it was like a six, seven hour drive, maybe a six oh, wow. hours. And we, we got out there and um, we kind of, sort of, hiked on land we weren't supposed to be on and uh, uh we did it early in the morning um i got a little bit of heat stroke so did ben um we made our way through access roads and underneath uh you know huge uh, what do you call those things like the electrical towers where we were oh, okay. monitoring we were monitoring EMF the whole time and as well as, uh, you know, CPM, um, on our, uh, Geiger counters. And we had iodine pills just in case, like we didn't know what to expect, you know, like all this hoopla about it. And we went out there and, uh, you know, long story short, we, we experienced some things out there. We saw some things out there. Um, we heard some things, smelled some things. Uh, I, it is a bizarre place. Um, right. Yeah. And, and so it, like Ben wrote a, a pretty good uh, article about it in this last esoteric Mason. Um, not a whole lot of details in there, of course, but uh, certainly it was a wild, a wild trip that. Uh, I don't know. You, you, I, even now I think back to it and I go, God dang, was that real? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was wild. But I mean, that, yeah, that's that's an experience you will always have. And mm -hmm. I mean, why not? <laughs> Sometimes you just you just have to go experience it for yourself. Maybe it's something, maybe it's nothing. Uh, but you know, we're given these brains and these abilities to experience. Why not? Yeah, and and you know, I'm seeing some of these these comments in the chat. You know, people talking about uh, season three of Skinwalker Ranch currently airing. Uh, the whole Winto Basin is interesting, in my honest opinion. Sean, you, totally. That that whole place uh, from from uh, was it Bottleneck Hollow uh, all the way through everywhere out there um, is is just so uh, like bizarre. I mean, we parked at like six p.m. on the outskirts on the would have been well like on the opposite side of the ranch where the canyon isn't, and there's just this little turnoff. And we waited there and waited there all night. And I used my really expensive camera. And I only say really expensive to let you know that like this thing is capable. Right. And I was doing long exposure shots on a tripod. And what I was doing was in the dark, exposing it so much that it looked like a daytime shot. I wanted to see oh, if wow. I could capture anything 
in the evening time, you know, and of course, not a whole lot I was catching on the film. But when I would for a moment, you know, you ever catch yourself in like the thousand yard stare. Mm -hmm. And then you realize, what am I looking at? And it dawns on you like, I'm looking at a thing that's looking right back at me. And I still get chills thinking about this, but like, imagine tall grass, nighttime, moonlight, in the background. We don't know what this was. I suspect it may have been the echoing of truck tires outside of the Winter Basin rolling. But it was like rhythmic drumming, like whoa, 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 whoa. Like you could hear oh, it. Weird. And I'm looking in this tall grass. And uh, like I didn't know what to describe it. And the next day, we went to this convenient mart, which is on the Winter Basin land. And the side of the building is painted this purple color. And has all of these shadow people painted on it. And that's when it dawned on me, like, that's what I saw. Like shadow people walking in the tall grass, like natives. It was crazy. That is crazy. Like chills, dude. <laughs> and then, and then like, like I still, the shoes that I wore, I just had my checkered vans on not hiking boots or anything, those shoes still have all that dirt and dust and rocks in them. And they're in a box in my closet. Like I can't get rid of them. <laughs> it is like, I feel like something will happen if I get rid of them. I have to probably bring those shoes back and leave them there. I don't know. <laughs> hey, I get it, man. I get it. So tying this into Freemasonry a bit, we, at least I, and I think you mentioned a little bit on your end as well, uh, have had some odd experiences uh, in certain Masonic temples. Um, not all. And, and, and this is what gets me. So like where I was raised in Masonry uh, was Lenexa Lodge. It was like a 70s style. I never had any weird encounters there. Um and I, you know, I'd go there at night, I'd go there alone. I did some wirings and stuff there, never anything. Uh, when I transferred out here to Gardner, like from day one, that building creeped me out. Obviously it's an old building and you always wonder a little bit like your mind playing tricks on you, whatever very well could be. Um, and I always just told myself that I'm like, ah, it's just an old creepy building. We've got a coffee shop below, even though like it's typically closed when we're having meetings. I'm always like, yeah, if I hear something, there's probably someone still down there. But then you came out and I didn't even know you were into this stuff. You had a freaking EMF detector in your pocket. This thing starts going nuts. And I remember you telling me, you're like, yeah, I've had a weird ass feeling ever since I walked in here. <laughs> And uh, some weird stuff happened that evening, didn't it? Yeah, we had um, a number of uh, of words come through the EMF detector, um, not audibly, of course, but uh, in the spectrum. Like one of the uh, you see on some of these paranormal shows where they've got you know SB seven spirit boxes or yeah um, or, or or devices that pick up 
a word or something in the electromagnetic uh, information that's you know being passed around, right? And it, a lot of times it's relevant. And we had quite a bit of stuff. And I remember we got a couple ladies' names. Um, but I remember like the spatial, there's like a spatial thing where it, like you see where you are and then like spatial un- anon- anomalies uh, or interruptions in, in the electromagnetic field around you. Um, and, and so maybe this is like, something that is moving and interrupting the field. And there were like three or four things that it were converging on you and I, as we stood in the East. Um, I just remember that. I remember feeling a little creeped out by um, you have that, you have a portrait there that is one of those kind of old, old yeah. like bubble portraits, which um, is fantastic, but also whether it's haunted or not, Every portrait in one of those bubble things always follows you wherever you look. <laughs> it does. And um, so that was, you know, creepy as all get out too. And then I started thinking about the age of the building. And then you start thinking about like imprinting, this idea of, of imprinting. Like in a fraternity, we've got such strong bonds to the building, bonds right. to the brotherhood. Um, and, and people might not really understand it. I think Joe Martinez actually does a great job of talking about this topic of the, uh, invoking, uh, the blessing of deity. Uh, so before the meeting, right? Like we open with a prayer or whatever, but it's not a prayer. You guys, we are invoking the blessing of deity. That's what we say. Invoking is like, it's, it's, it's spell casting. Yeah. I don't care what you say. You are calling you were like calling the deity to you you are invoking right and so with all this power that happens in a masonic lodge because there is power in ritual whether we want to think about it as uh the power of suggestion over time and um like your ability to kind of uh uh what do you call it like uh, control your own mind brainwash yourself into good habits sure. and things or the collective consciousness of a lodge doing good uh the most overused word in the in the sphere here is like egregore right i think uh is is a term that is overly used not really a big fan uh but uh th- the whole idea is like this collective mindset uh pushes forth a willed reality, if you will, right? And that's physics, right? So this willed reality, like how strong is it and what connection does it have? And there's a lot of things that suggest that um, organic natural components uh, emphasize the entire experience of, of supernatural things. So like, for instance, your building, which is old, has a ton of wood in it, right? An organic material. Like you don't see a lot of this stuff in like static buildings built in the seventies out of concrete and steel. You see it in these buildings that are built on top of springs, hot springs or water or gold mines or, you know, or, or where things happened, charged up emotions happened for years and years and years. You think about the idea of like, people talk about the secret. You know, the law of attraction, they say, oh, you have to get emotional about it and believe it. And then you call it into existence. Well, think about the high emotions that are always in a lodge, the 
high emotional jovial spirits the handshakes the camaraderie and even the sadness and tears that happen yeah like there's not many other places where genuine feelings of people are worn on their sleeves and celebrated and coming together and just a release of all that energy in the Masonic Lodge. I mean, it's well, on, on it's so huge. many levels too, because you, you think about, we've got all these brothers that just don't come to lodge anymore. Maybe it's because they're old or they've moved away, whatever, uh, what have you. But even these guys that don't come to lodge anymore, when you have that conversation, there's still like this enormous connection. Uh, and that, that's one of the, Beautiful yet very interesting things within Freemasonry is there's this connection that just often can't be explained. But yeah, even these guys that may not be attached to the meetings and stuff for say, and maybe you know moved away and have this distance, there's still this emotional like outside of us connection that, that that's huge, and it, it does make you wonder if that can have a connection to paranormal drawing in and, and being that, that home space of sorts. It's physics, bro. Like, honestly, at the moment of what they call, you know, uh, BBT, right? The big bang theory, um, whether it's the big bang or something like it, when all of existence is generated into a real existence, we mm -hmm. are entangled on this quantum level, right? This is quantum entanglement. It's a real thing. We're using it today to secure emails. Like if I send you an email and somebody injects or like intercepts it, it's destroyed on both ends before it's even sent. Like this is real security protocol that's happening today on this whole physics, the physics idea of quantum entanglement. And so it, it's, it go, it's, it's absolutely, uh, uh, still relevant and connected and and um, fits neatly into the package of of connectedness between people, right? Like uh, two twins separated by 10,000 miles and you scare one of them and you can measure the other one's heart rate increase also. Like yeah. they're quantum connected, just like people are. And the more we connect and the more we're together, the you know the increase of that bond that happens. And then we have to ask ourselves, right, like the cells that make up you and me uh, are no different than the cells that make up the building, the wood, the chairs, just as imprintable, just as connected. I mean, so it just makes sense that yeah. it can be recorded. Well, I mean, yeah, when, when, when you're talking on that level, I mean, you, you've got to remember what existences and what human beings are and that everything within us is like computer systems that are bringing in uh these energy waves which is all that truly exists these energy waves of that turn into sound that turn into touch that turn into vision um and in that process or that point of thinking you get past the Alex and RJ and the microphone in front of me and it's just a series of waves so at that point yeah, of course they'd be imprintable. Of course they'd be uh, holding a connection and, and a value of sorts that um, really gets uh, to a deep level of thinking. Yeah, but like bringing it back to, I don't know, not so deep, I guess, right? Is kind of like this, I don't know what you would call it, really fascinating, really charged up, even fun element yeah of 
like the paranormal within Freemasonry. Um, thinking about past masters of Gardner Lodge uh, kicking a door open during a meeting or, uh, you know, you're cleaning you up. Actually have a story about that. I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> I know you do. Uh, or, or like late night and you're, you know, packing the spaghetti away in Ziploc bags <laughs> and throwing them in the refrigerator and the smell goes by you, a smell that hasn't been there all night, but it's like, there is no reason that I should have just smelled, you know, 1965 old spice. Right. What, what is that? Right. Like, I mean, this is wild stuff. So we were in Homer Lodge. I mean, I keep seeing Homer Lodge. I think it was Homer Lodge. Darren's going to kill me if it wasn't. But anyway, we were down at his lodge. Maybe it was Ogden Lodge. Anyway, we're down there and, and they're doing this investigation and um, they were getting legit responses, excuse me, legit responses to questions they were asking about Freemasonry. Like, are you mad that there are girls in the lodge right now? And it was like, no. It's like, can, can the women come to a meeting? And it was like two blinks for yes. Like just intelligent responses. You can see everybody's hands. Nobody's there programmed anything. Right. Um, it was just really bizarre. And it becomes this idea of like the question on what comes next. Right. I think that's, you know, you can go down this road of, of, of more physics, right? Like you talk about the laws of thermodynamics, the laws of uh, whether something would be destroyed or, uh, not, which we know we can't. So you it's go transparent. somewhere, right? right. And, and, but like to stay one step back and still this kind of just paranormal realm of connecting with the deceased or something else is, uh, mind bending. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, it, it makes me think early on, uh, when I transferred into Gardner Lodge, before I really had any encounters, obviously there was like creepy stuff, but we'd went up there one weekend and it may have been getting close to the 150 celebration. I can't remember, but we were, uh, we went up there on a weekend just to do a general cleanup. It obviously been a while. There was some dusty spots, yada, yada. We're like, let's go in here and just deep dive. And one of the first things I did is I went into what is our preparation room and we've got these windows that kind of, you know, it's a big square. We own the top floor, but we've got these windows all the way around and these big, huge drapes. And I went into the preparation room that overlooks the intersection down below the main street. And I just went in there to get some light and I ripped open the curtains. And as I ripped open the curtains, just happened to look down. There's this car sitting at the stoplight, right? And there's these two probably 12-year-old girls that just happened to be looking right at me, probably looking up, creeped out at this haunted building, right? And I just rip it open. And these girls in the back seat just <laughs> turned green. It was perfect. Car took off. And it just like, it hit me on so many levels of, first of all, Nobody knows we're here. How bad does that suck? <laughs> Second of all, there is this connection of creepiness uh, with our temples on, you know, especially these old ones to that level. Now, I had some interesting uh, ex experiences at the Kansas City Masonic Temple as well, which is much bigger, much huger. And we'll talk about that shortly. Uh, 
for any of you that are curious what that is, if you go back or go onto the YouTube channel, if you look at the original episodes, uh, we had a intro video different than what we use now. And it was old and uh, with my father-in-law, Angelo, and we're kind of going up the stairs in this place. That was the Kansas City Masonic Temple. And we had some really weird encounters while filming that intro uh, in the fact that we'd go upstairs where nobody was in the building. They're on the base floor. And they'd actually went to the top floor and killed with the, you know, like a movie, big old power deal that you bring down sparks fly. They killed it from the top floor so that no lights would be able to be turned on. We're going through these, uh, the stairwell with candlelight just for dramatic effect. And we get to like the third or fourth floor and there's a light in one of the rooms and somebody I don't know. Maybe they were creeped out. Somebody saw a person go by, but the light was on. We went and asked Frank, who was kind of facilitating for us. And he's like, no, like they're down there with their flashlights and candles as well. He's power to the buildings cut. And we went upstairs, the lights no longer on and we go floor up and the switch is totally off. None of us had separated to go up there. Weird happenings. Coming back to Gardner Lodge, the night that you were there was the first night that got much odder than just hearing the random like sounds and stuff, right? So the uh, the frame that you were talking about is a guy named William McClintock. Uh, he was he served as master in that lodge for like thirteen years or something. Very very connected to the lodge, and when he passed away, uh, they decided to honor him by hanging him uh, over in the north kind of towards the preparation room. He actually holds the implements. So when we do our degree work, he's, he's always a part of it, right? The interesting thing, obviously it's that like concave picture. So yeah, you see his eyes following you from everywhere. The weird thing is though, and my daughters will tell you the exact same thing. If you walk in that room, sometimes you walk in and he looks like he's smiling, even though it's just a straight face. Like he looks like he has a little bit of a grin. You go in there other times, he looks a little pissed off. And it's just like, it's, it's, it's very like, situational. Like Vigo. From, yeah, exactly. From uh, Ghostbusters too, right? Like he's either <laughs> smiling or, you know, like not very pleased with Bill Murray. Exactly. <laughs> so we, we've always gotten in the habit of when we go in lodge, we always give a little salute and say hello to brother McClintock. And when we leave, we say goodbye because we've noticed if we don't, we look over and he looks a little irritated. Obviously that could just be us, but it's, it's always funny to play into that. Now, that night that you had come to Gardner Lodge and I didn't know you were into the stuff, I didn't know you had any equipment on you, it was at his picture that that EMF detector started just going nuts. And we started having that conversation of, yeah, it feels a little weird up here. And then I remember we were listening to like what came through and what words, um, which, you know, obviously it's, it's searching the spectrum for these words. So you take it with a grain of salt, but it was the fact that a lot of these words that were coming through like held connection. Well, I remember we were... We're standing over by the east and you had the detector there and it's like, it's kind of showing where it's detecting waves. It's like hitting on this spot by the senior deacon's chair and then it moves a little closer and then it's hitting on a spot directly over on the other side because I'm standing at the, uh, the podium in the east towards the secretary's desk. And it's like hitting hard on the opposite side of the podium hits hard at the master's chair and then disappears. And I get pins and needles from head to toe. Obviously could have been my head, like playing that together, but it was well, one of the creepiest things. I've I, I, I actually pulled up the log of, uh, 
of those EVPs just now. <laughs> so it was at uh, twenty one forty four. So was that nine nine forty four at night? Was that nine o'clock? Yeah, it was dark. Yeah. Uh, so when we were in the east, the word fall came through. Uh, breathe, touched, uh, coffee. <laughs> Um, approaching, then we got a couple ladies names, Mary Ellen and Lily. Uh, another one was surrounded. Uh, yeah, we got some bizarre ones and I remember we looked up, I think Mary Ellen and Lily to see if they were like Eastern star women from the past, maybe. Or, and it's hard to tell because they were. Yeah. I mean, the Eastern Star in that lodge was a major deal mm -hmm. back in the day. Um, so if you look like early 1900s, late 1800s, because he, the thing is that particular building was built in 1906. It was finished in 1907, January. That's when they entered. We had a building pretty much very, very similar to the floor layout. Um, on that exact ground that burnt down in 1906. They rebuilt it in a year. Um, so there's, there's connection to that ground prior to the building that's there that was still Masonic. But all the way back from the 18 mid-70s to 80s when the first building was built, uh, the ladies kind of ran the banquet hall. And they'd talk about almost every meeting of either they would finish a meeting and retire or almost they would do the call from labor to refreshment every meeting. They'd, they'd have something in the banquet hall with the ladies. And they, I mean, so there were so many of them involved there. Yeah, they have like a huge history. Like whether you're a fan or not, uh, if you're over in the UK and it's a clandestine or whatever, right? The point is these these women's auxiliary units and things were so prevalent, especially in these old, these old Masonic buildings uh, because of the large influence of the Masonic family really uh, yeah. between, you know, D Malay and OES and um, you know, generally you know, Freemasonry um, you know, that's, that's all from yesteryear and the, again, the emotions and the, uh, the emotional imprint, if you want to call it that on, on, on a building like a Masonic lodge uh, I can imagine, I mean, Outside of a church or or a temple or some sort of religious building uh, where people come together like they do in masonry, I don't know that other places have that much of a charge. Uh, you talked about the Scottish Rite Temple. Um, I think it was a couple of years ago, the Grand Master of Missouri's uh, theme for the year was Whence Came You? And uh, not after my podcast or anything, just that was his theme that year. And so he asked me to come talk at his uh, annual breakfast. He does his big annual breakfast, and I didn't know what to expect. Uh, and I went there for the reunion, and then I stayed through the weekend. Uh, I stayed Friday night at the Valley of St. Louis. I slept there uh, in, the, in, the, in the rectory. And then there, uh, everybody goes home on Saturday. Right. And I said, Hey, you know, I'm cheap. I don't, I don't want to get a hotel. So can I just sleep at the Valley again? And, uh, brother Brett Akers and I think, uh, Josh Thompson, Randy Sanders, they were like, 
yeah, but you know, nobody's in the building. Like, well, there'll be some guys who stay a little bit late to clean up after the reunion, but nobody will be there. And I was like, okay. And this is like the big, big place. Right. I mean, it's a massive building that's connected to a city parking garage. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a joint. Right. And so uh, I'm like, yeah, no problem. So the evening before the breakfast, I'm out to dinner and the people say to me, watch out for the man in green. Like, oh, so it's haunted or something. They're like, oh yeah, totally. (laughs) Have a good night. And I was like, oh, cool. Well, I'm not like spooked. Um, I'm generally just a curious person. I'm the person who'd be like, oh, weird. Let me give the girl from the ring a hug. Um, (laughs) She needs a hug, right? (laughs) Uh, so then I get like violently murdered or sucked into the TV or whatever. <laughs> so, so obviously I'm like really intrigued by this whole thing and I really don't put it together. Right. I'm back at the Scottish Rite in St. Louis. Uh, I'm in the rectory lights. I mean, all the beds are all made and, uh, I'm in the only bed. I'm in the far, far, uh, back of the room. Um, I got my, my phone plugged into an outlet and I'm going to, I FaceTime Corey, my wife before I'm getting ready to go to bed and, uh, there's nobody here. And, um, I, I don't know where light switches are or anything. So like, basically if I had to use the bathroom, I like walk out and then I go down to like the community bathroom, which has like showers and, and lockers with toothpaste and you know, all the things, right. Cause people go there to stay for the weekend. So it's kind of right. like a little hotel. And uh, I'm there and I use my flashlight on my phone to navigate. And, you know, I never really got the chills, but you know, when you're coming up from the basement, when you were a kid Mm -hmm. and you get the chills, you had to run up the stairs. Yeah. I did catch myself walking a little fast back to the rectory. Uh, And then I fell asleep and I woke up and I was hearing people talking and like footsteps in these empty halls, you know, like, uh, like almost, you know, sold shoes, wood sold sure. shoes walking in the hall, like nice shoes and some talking about, uh, gosh, I can't even remember what it was, but then I'm like, Oh, it's probably the dudes, you know, they're probably staying late to clean up. Right. Cause I mean, there was I mean, a really big get together downstairs after the reunion, uh, for their afterglow and things. I look at the clock, you know, it's like one I'm like, okay, no big deal. And the next morning at breakfast, I was like, uh, Hey, you know, what's, what, what's going on, uh, brothers, you know? And they're like, Hey, how'd it go? And I said, well, it was fine. You know, I said, uh, I didn't hear anything after you guys left. And they said, well, we, we, we didn't stay late. And I was like, well, I mean, I, I only heard things like, you know, would you guys leave like around one thirty or so? I heard some, some people walking in the hall, just down the, down the hall by the elevators. And they said, no man, everybody was gone by 10. <laughs> and I was like, not everybody. Oh, shit. Yeah. So I had an experience there and that was, that was the most, one of the most audible, um, type of experiences I've ever had, like hearing voices that I couldn't quite make out what they were saying, you know, like it was mumbling. 
scrambled, if you will. Like I, maybe I'm not, maybe my mind or brain can't comprehend the, 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 you know, the garbled frequency or something, but, but the shoes, man, I heard walking. That was unmistakable. Well, so, I mean, yeah, it, it makes you think because like we were talking earlier about how these important to us places can essentially, you know, take on these imprinted uh, happenings. Places like that Scottish Rite Valley, oftentimes more than not, will hold even more of an importance than like a local lodge or something. It's because it's something they look forward to and they make the journey to these places and they stay. And it's like this experience, right? It's the, and, it's the pilgrimage and it's so exactly. many lodges. It's the active of the active coming together like yeah. to form a union of sorts, right? And uh, so the guys that bonds were stronger than normal. It's amplified. Yeah. Right. You know, it, it, it makes me think um, because, you know, a similar building would be like your Grand Lodge building where you mm-hmm. have someone in an entire jurisdiction or beyond uh, that holds an importance or, you know, a uh, a level of importance or admiration towards that building. And even though, unfortunately, we don't have it in our possession anymore, we had to sell our Grand Lodge building here in Kansas a few years ago. Uh, most worshipful Tracy Bloom, Grand Secretary been grant secretary for a long time. And he worked in that building Monday through Friday for years. And he would tell me all kinds of stories about just weird happenings. It's an amazing old building. You'd been there. You came down for a lodge research reboot and got to walk around and check it out. Um, one of the biggest things about it is they had this security system installed um, kind of for this reason, uh, <laughs> weird things happening. But it was super annoying. Anyone opened the front door and there was like this 1980s just like chirp of a chime downstairs that would echo all through the place, right? And that was so if you're up on the third floor or whatever and someone opened that front door, which, you know, in uh, later years, it had the whole mag lock system and they you know, had to buzz you in and all that. But in previous, anyone opened that door, you could pretty much hear that just annoying blood curdling chirp from anywhere and bloom would be sitting in there no chirp ever went off but all of a sudden he's hearing voices and he'd you know holler out hey who's there and he hear a slam and the door just slammed shut he'd go out nobody anywhere he'd say that happened just time after time always something going on always feel like somebody's around the corner just really really interesting but you know again it's it's one of those buildings that for decades and decades brothers from all over the jurisdiction and beyond uh, held a high level of importance towards that building. Uh, So many uh, brothers traveled in. There was even an apartment uh, in there at one point for uh, grandmasters and others had used it. But yeah, really, really interesting, you know, how that level of importance can draw more, uh, amplify that connection, as you said. You know, it's it's also making me think (laughs) probably in my experience, the most intense situation. Um, and actually, before we get into that story, because we're at 859, uh, let's go ahead and prepare for our toast. And then we will we'll tell the story afterwards here. Brother Johnson, we really appreciate you uh, being on this evening. If you wouldn't mind, would you offer up a, uh, a toast for us this evening? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so I would like to raise a toast. Uh, perhaps 
in a uh, apropos fashion here to all of our departed brothers and frauders and sisters who uh, are in the next place. And uh, we hope that uh, you have found all of the answers and that if you are have a, a guiding uh, voice or light for the rest of us here in this place, uh, we, we thank you for any guidance you give. But a toast to all of our departed brothers, frauders, sisters, uh, and, all, and, and anybody on the path. So to them. To them. Cheers. Thank you so much, Yo. brother. Steel Wolf says, may they haunt us in peace. <laughs> yeah. Please. Yes. Please. All right. So not everyone knows this. Not even everyone at my lodge knows this. I did spill the beans on a past episode. So whatever. People will know at some point. Uh, so my father-in-law was huge part of me becoming a Mason. Um huge part of my Masonic journey. And when I transferred to Gardner Lodge, he transferred to Gardner Lodge. Uh, he had served as a master previously at Lenexa Lodge, and he was working through the chairs uh, with hopes of becoming master at Gardner Lodge. Uh, when he was in the junior deacon chair, because he started off junior steward, he wanted to fully work his way through. In the junior deacon chair, uh, he came down with stomach cancer and did not make it through that chair. It was an odd situation because he knew it was coming. Like, obviously we were dealing with it and we had those odd talks about, he wanted me to do his Masonic service and he'd walk around the lodge and, you know, I'd ask him like, what, what, what the hell are you doing? He's, you know, tapping on the altar and stuff. He's like, well, I'm just looking for a place you can like drill a hole and put my ashes. And I'm like, I'm not putting them in the altar, man. Like they, they could get rid of that, throw that away. And he's like, well, scattered around the building. Well, we're on the second floor and there's rooftops all around. And if you go downstairs, I'm not throwing you on the sidewalk. I'm not throwing you on the roof. So after he passed, I'm, I'm up there and I'm like, well, this is where he wanted to go. So I'm looking for a meaningful place. And I don't know. It just hit me. His last chair was the junior deacon chair. And there's a wall right behind the chair. So drilled a hole. Not everyone knows this drilled a hole and his ashes are in the wall behind the junior deacon's chair, which I just thought was extremely fitting. Uh, and I had a plaque laser engraved and in a coded language at the bottom, uh, it says something along the lines for anyone that ever cares to figure it out in future times. Uh, <laughs> uh, it says something along the lines of a brother rests here behind his last chair. And so it's, it's in plain sight for anyone that cares to know. However, probably a week and a half after we put him in the wall, nobody knew but me. <laughs> and we had a degree. Uh, Brother Justin Staley, who I believe is watching tonight, uh, and his, his children, the Staley Juniors, uh, he's going through the degree and, you know, not to get into too many details, but you can imagine he doesn't know everything that's going on. He's, he's in degree mode, right? Well, I'm kind of, I've got a certain part. I'm sitting to the side at this time and we've got this Tyler's quarters where, you know, you have your main door that gets tiled. Well, then there's a Tyler's quarters and there's an outer door uh, that gets dead bolted. Um, 
And I start hearing voices. So I'm thinking, oh, well, one of the wives showed up or someone else shows up and we're right in the middle of the degree. So I just quietly slip out and I go check the lobby. Nobody. And I peek downstairs. I get a little weird because we did have like a homeless dude sleeping in the closet one time. And, you know, we caught him slipping out the window and there's like this black silhouette. Uh, So there's been creepy things that have justifiably happened. So you're always looking around for somebody like that, but nobody out there, all the windows locked, all that. I'm like, huh? Okay. So went back in, make sure the door's latched and I hear a knock at that outer door. So I'm like, what the hell? I must've missed them. I get up and I, I'm, I'm not the only one that heard it. Like people looking around, I get up and I slip out. I'm trying to be quiet. Degrees going on, be respectful. Nobody there what the hell, man? So I'm like worried at this point, somebody's coming in messing with us. You know, we do got a coffee shop below. There's people around, whatever. Uh, so I close that outer door and I deadbolt it and I come inside and quietly, I make sure that inner door is sealed and not going to pop through or anything and sit there for probably five minutes and we're good. And then all of a sudden I visibly see the doorknob shift and I'm like, what the hell? It never even unlatches. The door was latched. It just opens about, I don't know, three, four inches. And I'm just like, what the hell? And, you know, our uh, junior deacon kind of turns around. He's looking at him like, so I get up and I peek out, check the other door still locked. I make sure that sucker's latched. No more than I sit back down. Door handle moves. Door comes back open four or five inches. I get freaked out. I get up. I close that door firm, right? And as soon as I did this, I made the joke to our junior deacon. I kind of whispered to him and told him about Angelo's ashes. He was the only one that knew. He starts scooting his chair forward. And about that same time, the door to the preparation room never had that door open before, whatever. It's fully locked, or not locked, but latched, closed. You hear the doorknob and it opens so much that it hits the wall. Our senior warden totally oblivious to what's going on. He's in degree mode. He just kind of gets up, goes and closes the door, sits down and no more than he sits down. It unlatches again, slams against the wall. He looks at us like, what is going on? And it was hilarious because our brother going through this degree heard all of this. He thought it was part of the degree. So we're talking about it afterwards about that scared the crap out of us. He's like, Wait, what? <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, it's it's interesting that it happened right after that. What we're talking about is while it scared the crap out of all of us, in reality, it was probably Brother McClintock and Brother Angelo standing on the sidelines, just la- laughing their butts off, uh, making fun of us. Uh, because one thing with Brother Angelo he loved to mess with me in degrees, especially when I was master. You know, I'd, I'd be in my zone trying to get my words right and be serious. And he loved to be the senior deacon. He'd get up there in front of me as master. And he had these big burly eyebrows. He'd start moving his eyebrows and making faces just to mess me up and throw me off. So he had this history of messing with people in degrees just, you know, to be silly and funny. Uh, but it sure made you think. And ever since he's been there, uh, there has been an amplified sense of just noises and happenings and whatever, uh, to the extent that just probably two months ago, uh, we had a few of us in the lodge room, one brother sitting in the dining hall, and the mirror 
now granted it's like we have this display case in our front lobby and there's a mirror with an etched logo from our lodge kind of leaned up on the display case against the wall it not only fell off and broke but it fell off and flew 10 to 12 feet and smashed into pieces we run out there when we hear this just smash because okay a mirror can fall we got downstairs old building whatever i think thomas in the other room does and i go and ask him and he goes well i saw it fly i thought you did it i was wondering why you were so mad nobody can explain why that mirror went 12 feet but i don't know man <laughs> it's, it's weird happenings you're not gonna know we're not gonna know until we get to the next place you know and there is a next place you know you don't need honestly and I, this is probably blasphemous to some folks i'm sorry you don't need a religion to understand that this is not the end like thermodynamics tells us that <laughs> something happens next where we go i don't know but i will tell you that that residual energy has got to be somewhere and if it has a personality that carries with it something who knows man but it's like even if you don't believe alex or my story i'm sure you can appreciate this fact that we are sane individuals in air quotes who are telling you that we had an experience that we can't explain and we're not dumb like things were locked in place clicked you can't we know that it takes a hand to turn a handle right like there's no explaining explaining this kind of thing um uh, and you know stuff happens man yeah and i just i also take it as kind of a comforting thing you know ever since i was a kid i grew up a uh, roman catholic and so uh, a lot of people think that uh, a lot of the things that i'm into today in the esoteric or the occult realms are uh, strange and unusual. Uh, and nothing cracks me up more than this when my Catholic family tells me this, because I'm like, you guys, the Catholic, Orthodox Catholic faith is pretty strange and unusual. We've got some things we do that are that are wild and, and bizarre. <laughs> but like we, I grew up this way, and I you know, moved out of that space and it kind of into my own space. And it's like the more objective view I have of a lot of these things, the, the you know, the paranormal mm -hmm. and the basis I place in the foundation I have in the sciences uh, to be, to function as a descriptor of what we're seeing uh, or observing rather you know in the in the natural world only deepens the curiosity and only deepens the mystery of of these experiences there's just too many things that are happening in too many places uh to too many people who are being truthful who know what's up and even you know to these paranormal teams who go into places that bring in tools and technologies that I could never fathom and capture things that are so out of this world, no pun intended, that it's just, 
I mean, it's literally unbelievable, except you have to believe it because there it is. You know, right. as a kid, I, I remember being really freaked out with churches. I remember telling my parents, I can think of no better place for evil to hide than in a church. It just feels creepy to me to be uh, in a church, you know, specifically big. Vault. I mean, so I part of my youth, I was, you know, I grew up in Naples, Italy. So like these big European cathedral churches, you know, huge pillars. I go in and every word you have echoes and there's just like the crucifix with Jesus staring down at you, you know, sad, you know, and I was just like this weird feeling, you know, I didn't feel comfortable there. And, um, but isn't that weird how some of like the most beautiful architectural places can be the creepiest, it has got to do something with like physical harmonics and yeah. I, I mean, so like, in tune there is something. Yeah. Totally going on. I mean, you've been to lodge rooms where like you've sat or you stand in the middle where you're going to do an obligation and the whole lodge is a large room, but yet you stand in the middle of that room and you say a word and the way it reverberates because it was like yeah. built to do that in just that center spot for, so that the candidate is like hearing the friggin' voice of God, you know, like it's crazy what we've been able to do. And, you know, this kind of lends itself into those other kind of extra realms outside of the paranormal idea of Freemasonry, but into like this kind of what kind of antiquity, uh, like, like, ancient knowledge have we forgotten that the craft is possibly preserved, you know, in these building techniques and, you know, sound techniques and, and, uh, giving somebody, you know, a waking experience, like an initiation or something, all of that stuff. I mean, just think about like, we talked about at the beginning of the program, all of the goodwill and things that happen in a lodge to charge it up. Yeah. We didn't even talk about the jarring experiences of initiation, passing and raising. Hundred percent. That's crazy. So, on that note, and and not to jump off on an entire tangent here, yeah. uh, which I'm probably going to invoke, invoke. Um, it, it makes me think, and I want to get your two cents on this. So, without getting into the details of degree work and such, a major character in Freemasonry is King Solomon. Talk about him all the time. He's he's a part of everything Freemasonry. But when we look at the legend of King Solomon, of who he was and what he was involved with, there is a lot of invocation, of paranormal activity, of dealing with good spirits and even demons. Do you see any correlation or do you think it's totally separated and unintentional? This is a whole awesome idea, right? Like the idea of Solomon... King Solomon, historically speaking, uh, looking at actual history and hi historicity, you know, he's, he's probably like a tribal uh, leader, you know, it's not actually like a huge king or whatever. Uh, but all that set aside, like the lore about the character of Solomon, maybe it's an amalgamation of characters or it's even an, an analogy or, or an archetype for somebody else. This character of Solomon, a uh, conjurer, if you will, of demons yeah. right or the or what we know to be the jinn uh that essentially by knowing the names of the jinn you control them so like solomon has interactions with 
Asmodeus or, you know, the king of the jinn or, or these other demons. And these jinn actually have, uh, you know, some, some ideas, they have a, a hatred for mankind because of the, the, the place that they occupy in the hierarchy of beings that God has built. Um, or some other times they they hate man because man knows the secret of controlling them, which is to know the name or all these different things. And, and so Solomon, you know, according to some of the grimoires that are out there um, and certainly in uh, Middle Eastern lore, uh, the, the, the jinn are this super fascinating area that, there's an awesome podcast. I think it's called, um, I think it's the secret life of gin or something. I'll have to look it up, uh, but I'll, I'll let Alex know you can put it in the show notes or something at a later date, Definitely. but uh, it is a fantastic exploration over the course of about 12 or 15 episodes uh, where they talk about the history of the gin, um, the, uh, the influence on the legends uh, for, uh, kids that grew up in the Middle East, uh, the ghost stories about the jinn and how they can, you know, manifest in real life, or or how like unsuccessful marriages uh, can come about due to jealous jinn that are attached to you, or uh, even court cases involving jinn where a man has actually sued a jinn in court uh, over uh, uh, leaving harassing voicemails on his cell phone i mean this is legit real right. paranormal stuff and solomon's connection to it is fundamental to the entire temple allegory i mean one temple allegory says that he built the temple without the sound of hammer or axe or whatever and you know in freemasonry we think about that and go right because you know the temple in this in this frame is talking about the mind right so the tools right. are etheric ideas the psychology this the, the different uh ways that we can change the way we think over time those are the tools that divest the minds of the vices and superfluities of life however like when we're talking about actual lore like this you're talking about a guy who controls demons who built the temple without sound of anything because he hired or controlled demons to do the work and then you see that a lot of the same things, uh, like the churches in Lalabella in uh, in um, in Ethiopia, these these sub these uh, sub, sub not subterranean, they're like sub level churches, and they said that craftsmen worked all day on them and then went to bed, and at night, like the jinn or demons came out to finish the work, uh, controlled by you know Solomonic magic. Yeah, that's interesting, man. And especially how that same message, you know, correlates into our old, like, uh, oh, what's the word? Not fairy tales, but, you know, the tales we were told as, as children with, you know, uh, what was it? The shoemakers, uh, elves or where they would come out and finish the shoes and stuff. You know, you're, you're told these various underlevel truths maybe or understandings uh through uh parables and and, and different interpretations but it, it really does make you think uh, especially on the level of solomon and you know those correlations within well, the masonry solomon like he's the man yeah but he's really a, he's well he's not the greatest individual <laughs> no but Man, also, so, so to think on that level, like what is one of the biggest things we talk about uh, is improving ourselves through masonry, but also 
subduing our passions. One of the biggest issues when we look at that lore of Solomon is he struggled intensely with his passions in that regard. He became obsessed with not only conjuring, but controlling to the point that in many ways it got the better of him. Like, is that one of the things we're supposed to learn from? But we've distanced ourselves uh, for many regards. And, you know, that that could be an entirely another topic, but it's interesting to think about 100%. I, I totally agree. I think if you see a lesson there to be learned, then it is one. Sure. Uh, because it's you're, you're just being mindful of the fault, right? It's kind of like your parents when they warn you, like, hey, don't do the thing because I did the thing. And you'll regret it, right? And if you're like 10 years old, you're like, okay. But if you're like 15 years old, you just go out and do it because your parents are idiots. <laughs> and when you're like 26, you're like, okay, again, because, you know, maybe mom and dad do know a thing or th uh, two. Um, and then maybe, you know, like when you're 50 or 60, you, you kind of think, well, they were half right. You know, yeah. I mean, everybody has their faults, right? As, as you get older, you start seeing people who they are, right? And like, it, as we get deeper and deeper into the lore of somebody like somebody like Solomon, you know, somebody we revere on this awesome level uh, on the outside of the onion, you start peeling away the, the, the layers and you start seeing the flawed individual that he truly was. Yes, wisdom. However, wisdom through experience uh, and that experience in not every case has been something that you'd want to write home to mom about, right. you know, I mean, uh, multiple, multiple wives in order to expand a kingdom, uh, you know, conjuring demons, uh, honoring false gods, even removing the, uh, Ark of the covenant from the temple at times, uh, like later, you know, King uh, Manasseh, you know, he, he removed the Ark of the covenant completely from the temple because at that time, uh, in 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 the history uh, there in the Middle East, actually, the Ark wasn't even a thing that people cared about. Like right. it was popular for a time, and there were two of them, right? So um, it's just really, you know, you you think about all of the stories and the archetypes and the allegories that these things are teaching us, and if you see a lesson again, take it as a lesson, and we can use it so that we don't, you know make those same mistakes. A hundred percent. Well, man, we've been going on this for a while. I want to thank you so much uh, for coming on, spreading some of your wisdom with us. I want to give you a chance. Uh, do you have any final thoughts for us this evening? You know, I, I just would say, keep looking up, keep things weird. Uh, if you think you heard something, uh, check it out. Don't be a fool. Don't get taken for a ride. You know, sometimes a creak in the floor is a creak in the floor. And, <laughs> but, but other times there might be things we don't understand. And I think it's okay to say, I don't know. I think it's okay to keep an open mind. Um, and certainly, uh, you know, keep your eyes, your ears open and always be respectful. And, um, you know, just, just try to live your life with an open mind because I think uh, the second we start closing our minds off to things, life gets pretty boring too. Uh, so if you can get into it a little bit, get into it, uh, check it out, do some reading. Uh, I saw a couple people had mentioned early on some cool Skinwalker books. Uh, I think definitely check out some of the Skinwalker books. The one he mentioned was by George Knapp. I think George Knapp is great, a little sensational, uh, but a really good book nonetheless. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, if you guys want to know about paranormal, you can see behind me this entire row of books is an entire two collections of encyclopedias on different paranormal topics. Uh, so I basically just read a lot of stuff all the time. <laughs> uh, if you guys want to uh, check more of this kind of stuff out, you can check out a podcast that I also do called Beyond the Fourth Veil with uh, Brother Darren Laners. It's not a Masonic podcast. Uh, we just talk about different paranormal stuff. We got an episode coming out about Operation High Jump. Um, if you're more curious about that kind of stuff, uh, just know that we're not always just ripping on um, these these happenings and things. You know, we're actually disassembling them, looking at the history and looking at the facts. And in some cases, like maybe even the Travis Walton case, we uh, we broke that open as being a hoax believe it or not. So uh, if that kind of stuff interests you, check that out. Uh, it kind of ties into what we're talking about tonight, but also uh, the Whence Came You podcast every Sunday at 930. And if you're on TikTok, you can follow me at the Wizard of Arj. That's like a transliteration of RJ. Like if you were going to Arj, A-R-J. Uh, my wife made that up so you can thank <laughs> her for it. And uh, I basically just cover tarot and uh, behind the scenes stuff of the podcast and a couple other things. So uh, fun from time to time, just as you do uh, on the great TikTok work that you do, asking questions and uh, getting us to uh, get off our butts and think a little bit. So thanks so much, Alex. I really appreciate this opportunity. No, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's been a pleasure spending this time with you. Uh, for my final thoughts, guys, I want to draw your attention to our logo and I'm, I'm going to throw it up here real quick. And, you know, that's our starting soon scene. But you'll notice on the logo is the lapel pin, all that good jazz. The reason we put that there and it shows, you know, the the keyhole where the third eye is and the, and the light beaming out of it and then the key down below. When I came in and got this interest in history, uh, one of my key passions that I wanted to bring to light was that what we talk about and learn from in masonry today in a large way is from those brothers before us you know we're still going off of the knowledge of those guys that you know they were in a slower paced time and they were dedicated in massive levels there's so much to learn and tap into from the brothers before us i think this ties in to a level of what we talked about with, with Solomon tonight, the lore and the legend there, and how there could potentially be lessons on subduing one's passions and learning and improving ourselves through knowledge, but also understanding there can be dangers there that can get you to have troubles with subduing one's passions and, and stuff of that nature. Um, but also just to understand that maybe sometimes when you experience something uh, that's unexplainable, just remember that as we've talked this evening about that strong level of admiration and connection that exists, brothers from the past could very well still hold those connections. And maybe it's worth digging into the past a little bit uh, in your particular lodge and finding out what there is to learn from those brothers uh, that traveled the halls of your temple once before. And dive into it a little bit. Bring back history, preserve it, save it, and share it 
as we always do here on Historical Light. I want to thank you guys for joining us this evening, especially Brother RJ. Thank you so much for uh, bringing your words of wisdom this evening. It's been an excellent talk that I've enjoyed tremendously. With that, till next time, guys, keep saving history, and we will see you right here two weeks in Historical Light. Have a great night.